This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 157 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we share tips on saving the pollinators. We have a historical figure spotlight. In Critter Nutrition, we focus on the next generation of GI tract support. And in Coffee Clutch, we share what our favorite summertime treats are for our horses and dogs. Join us. Tigger. Hi, I'm Coach Jen, and Patty's not here because I was late and she gave up on me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's it's been uh, it's been a journey getting this far already, Tigger. It's going to be quite a show. <laughs> and we've only just started. And we've only just begun. It was, it's been one of those afternoons that you realize how completely and utterly connect, utterly dependent upon the internet, your entire existence is. It's And cell phones. And cell phones, yeah. If and they're not working, you're One SOL. or the other goes out, and when they both go out, you're toast. Just throw your hands up in the air and, yeah. We need to bring back the carrier pigeon. <gasps> That's brilliant. That is brilliant. Where did I, I was reading something just the other day. They were using carrier pigeons. I was reading a book about a spy in World War II. It was called A Woman of No Importance. If you've got a little time to spare, it's a mm. relatively quick read. It's called, the title is A Woman of No Importance and about one of the first British spies during World War II. Really, really good read. But carrier pigeons come up in that book. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, it was really interesting. Virginia Hall was her name. She was an American, but she worked for the British... Secret Service, and then when the Americans started the, I think they called it the OSS in America, they started that, she worked for them, and then when they closed that down and started the CIA, she worked for them. Wow. Yeah, so this was early early times, really fascinating book. Anyhow, since Patty wasn't here and I was late and everything got fouled up, I was in charge of thinking up things to talk about because Patty couldn't be here to talk about things. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so, got me to thinking, Land Rover Kentucky three-day event was this past weekend, and we watched lots and lots of it on the USEF live feed. Thank you very much for doing that, USEF. It was lots of fun Mm -hmm. to watch. And invariably, anytime the Kentucky Horse Park comes up, I think of all of the famous equestrians, human, who have passed through there and have galloped across those fields. So I thought, you know, I need to ask Tigger who her favorite or one of her favorite historical equestrian human is. So do you have one or two or three? Um, I, I have several. Um, I was at the Kentucky Horse Park in 1978 to watch Bruce Davidson win oh. on on Mike Tango. Talk about watching history. Yeah. And and all the other Americans, you know, um, Ralph Hill and I, I, I Tor- I'm re- sure Torrance Watkins rode. And no. No? Was pre- no, pre-Torrance? it was just before her. Um, <clears throat> Rodney? There was a really great pony called Marcus Aurelius. Oh, yeah. I wish I could remember the rider, but um, yeah, that Mike Plum, of course. Um, I think Tad Coffin rode there. Um, so, it, you know, that was a really spectacular event, and and Bruce, the way he, what a horseman! So he would be. Uh, he would be at the top because I, I have such a relationship with 
that event and, you know, was the first one in the U.S. And so Bruce would be at the top of my list. Um, how about you? So many to choose from. Yes. But I tried to think of one who is no longer with us, but still familiar to many. So I came up with Jack Legoff. Oh, my God. I took clinics with Jack Legoff. No! Mm-hmm. Oh, tell me. Yep. I've never been more frightened. <laughs> he wasn't. He was, I've never, I never met the man, but I'm guessing he's one of those people that when he walked into a room, you knew it. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. a cold polar wind. <laughs> oh, my God. Just, um, just by his presence. Mm-hmm. Not that he was trying to be cold, but he just, he, he wasn't somebody that you wanted to hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. So for. And he was, he didn't, me- he didn't mince words. Not at all. If you sucked, he said you sucked. Oh, wow. And he told you <laughs> why you sucked. Yeah. Yeah. So he was the eventing coach. For how many years? Five years more? I don't remember. He was he he was one of the really, in my opinion at least, the key figure Absolutely. in developing eventing in, in the United States. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. He, he was French by birth, but yep. he really made eventing happen here and and kind of taught the Americans and they the then American Horse Shows Association, what eventing was. And he's one of those, like many other equestrians in various and sundry disciplines, that his philosophies, his methods, his techniques still hold water today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's- you know, I, I would have to, I, you know, just bringing up Legoff, it makes me, you know, think of Kim Walnuss. Absolutely. See, I had to. Oh. I wanted to pick one that wasn't with us anymore, and Kim's still here. Yay! <laughs> yes, thank God. Um, but man, what 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 she has brought to eventing. <clears throat> she she's Kim Walness is one of those people that can help a rider, and this is a very very specific skill set in my opinion. Equestrian. This, we're getting off topic a little bit, but since you brought this up. In any given skill set, you go from conscious competence to unconscious competence. You go from you can do it and you can do it proficiently, but you have to think about doing it. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a point where you can do it and do it well without thinking about it. That's when athletes say they're in the zone. Yep. They, don't, they can't tell you exactly how they hit that ball. They just knew they hit it the way they needed to. And the same thing happens in riding. And from my point of view, Kim is one of those people who can help riders who are conscious, competent, and help them bridge the gap. Because not everybody can go from mm-hmm. conscious competence to unconscious. Mm-hmm. There, And it's completely a mental thing. It's not because you physically can't do it, because right. conscious competence isn't physical. It's mental. And she has an amazing ability to help riders get through that because it can be a real huge struggle. And for some people, it just mm-hmm. never, they just never get it. Um, and that's one of the things I admire most about her, just, you know, beyond her amazing competitive career, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, interesting that we both have, have you ever had a chance to watch or ride with Kim? I've never ridden with her, but um, Kim and I go back many, many years. I do um, Yes. Um, my first equine supplement company was called Equigenesis, and that's how I met Kim. And I was actually at the Grey Goose's uh, retirement ceremony at, at Rolex. Really? Oh, uh-huh. more, more history being made. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever think? And again, we're we're waving off topic, but hey, it's a free for all tonight because we're just happy yes, that the internet is working. Um, whenever you go to a event of any kind, whether it's a concert, a big horse show, anything, does it ever, do you ever think to yourself, I'm about to witness history? Because sometimes you do, but you never go into it thinking that. I never think that. 
you know? I only think about it after something has occurred, and then I go, whoa. Yeah, that was a, that was a that historic was moment. Yeah. Historic moment. Yeah. Pretty cool. I, uh, I, I want to bring up one person. Um, her name was, she is deceased, Miggy Sorrell. Ooh, that's a new name for me. Okay, Miggy Sorrell is one of the founders of dressage in America. Interesting. Now, why don't I know about this person? Tell me more. Well, my connection to Miggy Sorrell is that she lived in the same town I did. And um, when I was, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe nine, um, the riding school that I went to had a, they called it pony day camp during the summer, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And we were invited to Miggy Sorrell's to watch dressage, which none of us knew what that was. And so we were carted over there and sat around this weird shaped arena. That was the first thing that I noticed was. (laughs) Why Why is it it oval? Yes, exactly. Riding arenas are oval. (laughs) All these funny letters. Is it supposed to mean something? And then the horse came out and, and, you know, Miggy was doing, uh, you know, some piaf and passage and half passes. And, and I just thought that is about the most boring thing I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah. And man, do I wish. (laughs) You just didn't appreciate what you were seeing. Yeah. Yeah. All I wanted to do is run and jump, you know, I, I just, I thought that was kind of boring, but she was one of the founders of the American Dressage Institute, which was the beginning of what became uh, the United States Dressage Federation. So she brought over the clinicians and um, yeah, she really got the sport. She and, and several other, um, they got Bent Youngquist. The coach. Right. So, uh, now I've heard of that one, but why haven't I ever heard of Miggy before? I don't. Well, you know, this is, you know, this is going back to the early 1960s. So. But still. <laughs> yeah. Miggy Sorrell. So um, I, I think this is a great, a, a great uh, topic. And I think we should include it going forward. So. Yeah, interesting. Oh, there I found her. Yourdressage.org, American Dressage Legends, Mig- Margarita, or Miggy, Sorrell. I will put a link to her in the show notes. Oh, excellent. Yay. See, thank goodness for Google. See, if it weren't for Google, doggone internet. <laughs> hate it when it's useful. Hello. 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 Hello, everyone. Greetings. Hello. Oh, my goodness. There's some wildness going on. <laughs> oh, there is. There's now pom- you've got Pomeranian wildness. Happy. Pomeranian yes, wildness. You've gotten me. You've gotten yes. me into a situation. Oh, Uh-oh. Now we're all going to be super sad. Sad? Well, if there's a situation, ah. I'm liable to become irate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a question for you, Hetty. Ready. What is your human's superpower? Oh, idiocy. <laughs> Well, somebody's got to do it, right? No one does it better than her. Let me tell you. I mean, the amount of effort that many people go to to be just as stupid as she is naturally, the gift, the true gift. Uh, Can you give us an example? Yes, I have an excellent example. So my sister, as you know, my sister, Christabel, is an older dog at this point in our lives. And 
So when she's eating her food, her paws sometimes slip out from underneath her, and we live only in homes with ice skating rinks for floors. <laughs> so that's in, a, in and of itself an issue. But so after a year of putting her feet, one on each side of my sister's feet, so that my sister would not fall down in her food, my idiot human servant realized that she could put a mat down and the dog would not fall over. <laughs> a year, a year of this. Can you believe it? Yeah, actually I can because I kind of went through something similar with Sabi. So maybe idiocy well, is my, my super, <laughs> superpower. <laughs> And we wouldn't have had to suffer for a whole year. You would have just passed it along faster. True. True. Sharing is caring, people. Well, That's thank it. you, Hedwig. Sharing is caring. And thanks for sharing with us. You're welcome. Do have a lovely day. Do you too. too. Bye-bye, Hetty. Bye. Now we're at Roundtable, and the topic is saving pollinators. And I found this fantastic website called pollinator.org. Um, it's in the show notes, so um, if you want to go there, they actually have a section where you can look up your region and find what the native plants are, what the native pollinators are, and what those native pollinators need in terms of which plants and bushes and um, native plants, which I find very helpful because I think one of the problems with for many of us is we want to help the pollinators, but it doesn't make sense to bring in something that is not native to our region. In right, to that it. is fraught with yeah pitfalls right Peril. there. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so there's lots of really good information on this website. Um, but what I really liked was the other facets of um, maintaining a healthy pollinator uh, species in your ecosystem is not just about the nectar. They have to have access to water. And... There are suggestions like, you know, put a bird bath out with your pollinator plants, um, change it frequently, of course, and also have, like, don't have a perfect yard. They like, um, they like logs and weeds and they like places where they can hang out and you know, having these perfectly mowed lawns may not be the best thing for the pollinator, uh, uh, be the best habitat for a pollinator. Uh -huh. um, so I thought that was really interesting. Hey, did you know that there's a National Pollinator Week? No! Uh, well, so of course, while you're doing this, I'm Googling things. National Pollinator Week is June 18th through the 24th in 2018, so I'm guessing it's going to be similar in 2022. So, how timely! Wow! Look at that! So, you have to... That's interesting. And so, the places for them to hang out and nest and hide... Yep. Because yep. they have to do and all of those things, right? Exactly. Because yeah, you're right. We always think of the flower part, but not the. So let's your let's say you're one of those folks who does like the manicured lawn, or you perhaps live in a neighborhood where you have to have a manicured lawn. So I ran across a very interesting article um, about planting a pollinator hedgerow. Ooh, I like the sound of that. So you literally just take the you start with the bushes that are friendly to pollinators and because you want things at different heights so you don't want everything at the same heights but you're going to start with the shrubs and then below them you're going to have um the annuals or um 
that come up every year or that mm-hmm. you have to, um, you know. So this, this add is, to I'm because when I envision hedgerow, I envision a row of bushes that are neatly manicured and all the same height. This is more of a more naturalistic looking border. So you're yes. going to have plant, different types of plants that have different heights, different densities, and yep. different flowering and different, habits. Okay. Yes, and flowering at different times. Uh-huh. You don't want them all flowering in June. Got it, because then the bees are going to be really hungry when it's not June. Right. Got it. And, and here's an interesting fact. More than a thousand of all pollinators are vertebrates. Nah. Birds, bats, and small mammals. See, you always think of a, you always think, well, a pollinator has to be a bee, but not necessarily. Nope. Very. I wonder if butterflies are considered pollinators. Yes, for sure. Okay. Because we love butterflies and we're trying to get some more, more, we're trying to put more plants in that butterflies like in our garden in the back because teensy tiny backyard that we have in our new home and it begs for flowers everywhere because... What else do you do with a, a – our backyard is approximately si- the size of a round pen. So what else are you going to do with it? Ah. <laughs> um, and, and I'm – yeah, it's a round pen. It's definitely – if you took a round pen and you just made it a little bit – Square. A little bit square, that's our backyard. So I'm liking this idea. And there's so much really good information available online through um, various and sundry – organizations whose sole purpose is to encourage natural pollinator or native pollinators to thrive. There's, there's no reason not to. And who doesn't want a bunch of, who doesn't love flowers that get pretty or plants that get pretty flowers, right? Well, it's interesting. If you go to pollinator.org and look up your region, your region in Florida. Pollinator.org. Yeah, and it will tell you what plants you need to plant. See, I'm Googling pollinator.org. There it is. We need to put a link to that in the show notes, too. I did. It's going to be link central this week. Woo-hoo. Do you know that monarch butterflies have declined by 90% in the last 20 years? 90%. Really? My, a, a really good friend of mine who's just she's – my, she's my plant guru – Helps me figure out what I've got and how to take care of it and stuff because I have a brown thumb. She gets butterfly is larva. Look, is it a cocoon? Yeah. And she puts them in the places and she actually hatches them, so you can actually get them and hatch yes, them out to can. help yep. bolster the population. Which I thought was I didn't know such a thing ha- could, existed, but yes, you can. You can hook up with your. I'm sure you can start with your local. Um, extension service and go from there, but you can get butterflies that are going to thrive in your part of the country. Yeah. That, and you get them at a time of year where they're going to be getting ready to hatch much earlier in Florida than it would be in, for example, Massachusetts. And then you can help to bolster the natural population because you're going to be using ones that thrive there anyway. Ah! Neat. It's a win-win. It is a win. Why pollinators, programs, consulting, resources, planting guides. Oh, I need the planting guide. That's a good one for me. Yeah. Cool. And the other really important tip is about pesticides. Uh, not your, shouldn't be your first go-to. No. 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 Should not be your first go-to. Um, yeah. I've, I've learned the value of just pulling up the plants we don't want. Just yep. pull them up out of the ground and throw them in a heap and, yeah, I like that better. And the other thing is what we do a lot of times is we'll tarp them. So Explain how that works because a lot of folks might not be familiar with that. So if you have a section of uh, plants you, you don't desire. Um, that weedy put, section, that little pu- that little patch that's about six feet square that nothing <laughs> nice ever grows there. That's what she's talking or about. Or you've got invasive plants there, which yes. we see a lot of. So we'll take a tarp. And anchor it over that spot. And in the summer, that's when we lay them down. And the sun and the heat traps them and kills them. So you you starve them of light. Therefore, they cannot create photosynthesis and feed themselves. 
Yep. So they just wither and die they just of natural and causes. Die. Yeah. And you just use your basic blue tarp from the hardware you store. You bet. Yep. And about how long do you leave it there for killing stuff off? Depends on how hot it is. Mm-hmm. The hotter it is, I mean, the faster it happens? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And you, I, yeah, you know, you, you, could, you could do that for even a smaller area. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And if you don't have tarps because it, or you don't have a tarp or you have smaller areas, the famous uh, plasticky feed bag that we all get nowadays, if you mm-hmm. cut that sucker and take and turn it into a rectangle, will do the job rather nicely. Absolutely. You just, you're just depriving them of light and, and water. oxygen. Yeah, yeah, and oxygen. Yeah, that's brilliant. And then the, the soil is going to stay healthy underneath. Yeah, well, as the plant decomposes, you know, then it's feeding the soil. Yeah, interesting. And something I've learned the hard way because we have um, cert- the, ki- the types of grasses that grow by sending out little runners. Mm-hmm. Lots of plants grow that way, not just grasses. So if you've got a spot that you think might be prone to that, using a spade to mark the edge of the area so that you cut off those under those roots that are just barely under the ground that create the runners, you can help uh, isolate. So a spade ah. is your friend as well. Yes. There you go. Cool. Great ideas. Let's save the pollinators this year. Yahoo. I'm going to get a t-shirt. And it's time for the Breed of Show or Tigopedia, but we have neither this time around because it's that show. We're doing Coach Jenopedia today. Yes. <laughs> And I thought it might be fun. Springtime and going into summer, we uh, we start to think about going to competitions with both our dogs and our horses. And there's a lot of grooming. And there's a lot of competition-specific grooming going on. And the relatively recent FEI, and I think Yousef jumped on the bandwagon too, rule about not clipping the horse's facial whiskers anymore. That's pretty yep. recent, right? Yep. Which seems like such a no-brainer, you it know. Does. Um, got me thinking. Whenever you compete, whenever you compete with your horses, the the styles and the trends were a little bit different than they are now. Yeah. What were your typical uh, com- competitive clipping routines like when you were competing and eventing in dressage? Well, definitely nostrils. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's lips got nose. shaved. Yeah. Um, now, was was the bridal path the little itty-bitty short one or the longer yeah. one? No, the short one. The little itty-bitty short one? Okay. Always did the fetlocks. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes just cleaned up the hair, um, uh, you know, by the feet, the pastern area. Sometimes we just really one of those 10 blades mm-hmm. and. Just make it really neat and tidy. Mm-hmm. Now, I know in the show hunter universe, it's very common to completely clip the lower legs, even not yep. even in the summertime. And then as they grow out, just to keep them really, really sharp looking. Was that something yes. that you guys did too? Um, in dressage, yes. Not in eventing. Not in eventing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. eventing, we tended to leave the hair on for protective purposes yeah. back then. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Now... Was the were ears shaved out, or was it just yes. the horns that went? No, ears were shaved out. Ears were shaved out too. And how about tails? Um, I I banged the tail, mm-hmm. but I never shaved the tail. You did? Did top. you did you pull it at all, or yes. leave it natural? I pulled it. You pulled it. Mm-hmm. That using clippers versus ripping the hairs out seems to be more the trend now. You think? I think so, but I remember a couple of horses um, being, you know, their tails were being clipped up at the dock, and they'd get so itchy. Yeah. Yeah. But I never pulled mine to the extreme, ever. Sometimes they look a little bit naked, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look good. I just would sort of trim it up. Yeah. (laughs) Just neaten it up a little bit. Yeah. There you go. That's interesting. How about you? 
for me, now, I for the most part, when I do endurance, we're wild and woolly, so I don't worry too much about it. But back in the day, like you, it was definitely lips and ears yep. and bridal yep. paths and pasterns. Yep. I never did coronets or cannon bones, but I didn't ever compete in, I'm going to use my air quotes, pure dressage or at hunters and jumpers at any level. So for us, their lower legs, it was very much just taking the feathers off. Mm-hmm. Um, we always pulled tails. We didn't clip them. And uh, I look back on that and go, oh my gosh, that was barbaric. But we did that. Yeah, I know. And we pulled manes. Although we were occasionally prone when you had one of those horses that had the, the Shetland pony mane that we would just, as it laid over, we'd flip it to the wrong side and we just literally shave half of it off. Oh, we flip did it the back same over. thing. Yeah, we did. Absolutely. <laughs> had to cheat a little bit. Uh, yeah. We did do that. For sure. You never had to worry about that with a thoroughbred though. No, not much. They hardly had any manes. Didn't have much I mane. Mean, we, so uh, easy to pull. Yeah. We never we never clipped eyelashes of any kind. Those long nope. cat like nope. ones that they have. We never clipped nope. those off. But I do have I have had horses over the years that that I'm gonna call it an antennae because it's not really an eyelash. Those antennae would grow really long and then they'd curl around and poke themselves right in the eyeballs with them. Ouch. So I I am prone to breaking them off before they make that curl if you have a horse that's prone to it, especially if the horse wears a fly mask a lot which kind of pushes down on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be aware of that. If you have a horse that you let their eye, those antennae go long, great, but watch and make sure that they don't grow down and start to poke them in. You the know, eye we eye. also would, would, you know, clean up under the cheeks and jaw. Yeah. You got to do the jawline. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some horses have a proper goat beard there. Yeah, exactly. So for your dogs, you have Australian shepherds. Do they have any special grooming and clipping things that they need to do for competition? Not, I mean, they have to be wa- bathed and fluffed. Um, you you want to maintain their coat. That's the big deal. But it's it's more of they are shown in what you might call a natural coat. It's not clipped or stripped. No, it's or anything not like clipped. Mm-hmm. I've nope. noticed. I get to see dog shows now, and I think do you call it a bench show? What do you call that kind of dog show where all they do is go on a leash and go around in a circle? That's all they do. Is that a bench show? That's a confirmation show. Okay, confirmation show. They have a lot of those at the World Equestrian Center here in Ocala. And I've noticed that a lot of the breeds are now shown with their muzzles shaved, so they don't have any whiskers. Wow. Yeah, and I thought, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, boo hiss. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like that. Boo hiss. Um, And at the... We went to a big golden retriever show. Ah. Uh, so, of course, there were literally such a nice dog. 1,200 gorgeous blonde dogs running around. Yeah, I bet. And I noticed that because they're shown with a natural coat, but the tail is trimmed. So when their tail sticks out, it's it's got like a blunt cut. It's almost like it's banged like a horse would be. It's very odd. Oh, wow. And they were all like that. I thought it was very odd. Yeah. I don't know if it's because they're trying to make their tail look shorter or I don't know what it is, but there you go. So if you're, huh. if you're a golden retriever person, go Please to, let us know. Let Let's, us know. Yeah, yeah. What the deal is with the banged tail on the golden retrievers. You can leave a message on it on the healthy critters radio, Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and type in there healthy critters radio, or you can send Tigger a postcard <laughs> and where would they send the postcard Tigger? To one Cleveland street suite, 800, Gordonsville, Virginia, 22942. Do it today. And now we're at Critter Nutrition, and the topic is the next generation and gut support. Several years ago, I became interested in traditional English hedgerows and how helpful they were not only as windbreaks and habitats for birds and small mammals, but for the edible plants on which horses and livestock could forage. Certain herbs, for example, supported the kidneys and liver, provided tonic qualities for those organs. Hedgerows were important for humans, too, as a place to pick beneficial herbs that supported human health and well-being. There is a renaissance of hedgerows in the UK now with a reintroduction of hedgerows to farmland. 
Due to my obsession with the GI tract, I started researching common plants that can be found in hedgerows to support the GI tract. The diversity of these edible plants in turn supports diversity in horse and livestock gut microbiota. And diversity of gut bacteria is an important part of health and homeostasis of the GI tract. Our pastures in the U.S. are rarely a blend of native grasses and wild herbs. The monoculture of grass seeds has reduced diversity in pastures, to say nothing of the war on plants like dandelions. Horses today cannot forage for plants that their ancestors ate for many thousands of years. Horses that only eat hay have less diverse fecal microbiomes. Researchers in New Zealand found that pasture-fed horses had more diverse fecal microbiomes microbiomes than hay-fed horses. The gastrointestinal tract of a horse is a complex community of microbes, immune cells, metabolites, and the tight junctions of the gut. Think of it as an orchestra, which needs to perform harmoniously in order to provide health and well-being to the host. Homeostasis of the gut, or the orchestra in tune, ensures the health of the host. When the gut's orchestra reacts improperly to deviations, then imbalance occurs, leading to inflammation and gut instability. Challenges to the orchestra. Stressors on the GI tract can upset the orchestra's ecosystem, resulting in imbalance and health issues. Pathogenic microbes, environmental toxins, psychological and physical stress, food additives, herbicides, dietary challenges. Diversity of the gut microbiome is becoming an important biomarker for health. A rich and diverse gut microbiome supports digestion, the absorption and production of essential nutrients, regulation of the immune, metabolic, and nervous systems. Lower diversity is associated with inflammation, irritable bowel syndrome, obesity, and neurobehavioral issues. Effects of food additives on the gut microbiota. Food additives, specifically polysorbate 80, carboxyl methylcellulose, sodium benzoate, sodium nitrate, potassium sorbate, have been shown to negatively affect the gut microbiome by creating an imbalance in the beneficial and pathogenic bacterial colonies. Effects of drugs on the gut microbiota. Proton pump inhibitors like omeprazole can negatively affect the microbial community and can contribute to dysbiosis, which is the disruption of microbiota homeostasis. Some studies show that proton pump inhibitors can contribute to an establishment of pro-inflammatory microenvironments in the gut. Antibiotics. Reduce the diversity of gut microbiota species and may stimulate the development of bacterial antibiotic resistance. NSAIDs can cause damage or irritation and swelling in the intestines. NSAIDs can impact the composition and function of the gut microbiota, which can precipitate dysbiosis. Effects of herbicides on the gut microbiome. The most utilized herbicide in agriculture is glyphosate. It disrupts beneficial bacteria in the gut, but does not affect pathogenic bacteria such as Clostridium and Salmonella strains. This imbalance of beneficial bacteria and pathogenic bacteria can cause dysbiosis in the gut. Effects of environmental toxins on the gut microbiome. Ongoing research demonstrates that environmental chemicals have a real effect on the gut microbiome, including heavy metals and pesticides, including alterations in microbial composition, gene expression, and health effects of the host. Effects of stress on the gut microbiome. The gut microbiota is a key player in the gut-brain axis. Stress can alter intestinal mucosa permeability as well as alter the microbiome community structure in the gut. This imbalance in the gut can affect neurotransmitters such as serotonin and dopamine. Some studies indicate heightened anxiety and depression can result from changes in gut ability and microbial composition. Biostar's new Hedro GI combines prebiotics, 
probiotics, postbiotics with fermented turmeric, medicinal fungi, reed sedge peat, and specific plants commonly found in old English hedgerows for homeostatic support of the GI tract. Horses who can benefit from hedgerow GI are horses under stress, horses on limited turnout or limited access to pasture, horses who are ulcer sensitive, horses who experience gastroesophageal reflux, horses who are laminitic, horses who crib or wind suck, horses with IBD, leaky gut, fecal water syndrome, horses on antibiotic or NSAID therapy, horses who need broad spectrum GI tract support. Nine months of beta testing. We beta tested hedgerow GI with ponies and horses of various breeds, including thoroughbreds, warmbloods, morgans, frisians, arabians, and quarter horses. Our nine months of beta testing revealed some unexpected results. Two horses in the early stages of laminitis turned around in 48 hours. Several horses that had been cribbers for years stopped cribbing after just a few servings of hedgerow GI. Horses that seemed not quite right to the owners and grooms and were sound responded within a week of getting hedgerow GI with a willingness to work and a calmer demeanor. Some of the beta test horses with long-standing issues like fecal water syndrome took more time on hedgerow GI to see the results. It was several weeks until improvements were seen. Several high-performance horses who were ulcer-sensitive showed improvements in performance and attitude within a few days. The only challenge we ran into was that once many of these horses were on hedgerow GI, the owners and riders didn't want to take their horses off the product. Biostar's hedgerow GI is the next generation of GI tract support, supporting homeostasis of the complex orchestra that is the equine gut. Hedgerow GI incorporates current science of the microbiome by using active prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics. It provides fermented turmeric with active metabolites for optimum bioavailability and includes GI tract type junction support to maintain the intestinal barrier. Hedgerow GI also offers support for the immune system and the liver and kidneys, in addition to providing plant diversity to benefit the vastly complex and beneficial bacterial colonies of the GI tract. As a multidimensional and comprehensive approach to the health and well-being of horses, this exclusive blend can be given as needed or for long-term support. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why BioStar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. BioStar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The BioStar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. And it's time for the coffee clutch. Coffee clutch today. Ding, 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 ding. Was inspired. Uh, by the fact that I still, despite the fact that we do not currently have a Greyhound, I still belong to all the Greyhound Facebook pages. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I'm constantly seeing all of the super cute pictures. And one of the Greyhound's favorite things to do, despite the fact that Greyhounds don't usually like water, they don't usually like to swim, they're not real fond of baths. Uh, most ex-racers love themselves a baby pool. When they go out in the backyard, and they run around like a Aww. nut for 45 seconds. They want to go flop in the baby pool. And cool off. Um, because racing greyhounds have post-race care just like a competition horse would. They get massages and they get warm bath or cold bath and all those things. That's part of a greyhound's life. So they know all about the flop down in a nice cool bath when it's hot outside. Aha. Uh-huh. So one of my favorite summertime treats is a baby pool for your dog of appropriate size. and just fill it full of water and toss a squeaky toy in there and let him go to town. 
Because treats aren't always food. They're not always something they consume. Sometimes treats are experiences, especially for dogs. Yes. But let me tell you, um, our former next-door neighbor and landlord, where we used to live, she bought a baby pool for her horses, and they played in it. Oh, my gosh. She got the bigger one that you blow up with um, an electric air pump. So it was the sides were maybe a foot and a half tall. I would be afraid that their feet would just render that plastic. Well, it was a pretty, it seemed to be pretty heavy duty. Now, both horses were barefoot. And particularly the thoroughbred discovered that he could stick his foot in there and he'd splash around in it. And then he would intentionally put his foot down on the edge of it so it would squish down and it would all make a tsunami onto him. It was hilarious. (laughs) It was hilarious. Yes. So he had his very own tsunami machine. Oh, that's a that's hysterical. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe if you have one of those horses who loves to play in the water trough, maybe get him his own personal water trough just for playing in. Fortunately, we have a pond. Oh, ponds are wonderful. In the summer, the horses will trek down to the pond and stand in there and splash it, you know, yeah. under their bellies and Yes, got yeah. good. Do you have yeah. do you have special treats that you like to break out in the summertime for the the pups because you have 112 Australian <laughs> shepherds. <laughs> Feels like it some days. <laughs> um, I I do the ice cube tray thing. I take coconut oil and um, peanut butter and I mix it together and I pour it into ice cube trays and freeze it. Ooh, yum! Now, are oh, there yeah. are there certain foods? that are ideal for consumable treats in the summertime for our, for our pets that are better for summertime use than versus wintertime use? Well, certainly things like apples are good for dogs, blueberries, um, you know, melons without the rind, even, you know, um, you know, papaya again, without the core, without the, mm-hmm. Mango. I don't do watermelon with dogs because it's just a lot of sugar. Oh, so, okay. Um, I, I will give the rind to the horses. They mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, they do. And it's so fun to watch them eat it because it it's, all switches out the sides. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so funny. It's precious, yeah. Um, so I'm very careful about, I mean, to me, it would be a, an apple slice and not the whole apple. Or, you know, a piece of melon, not the whole melon. Oh, um, I can't imagine giving a whole... No, that would, you would have a sick dog, I would think, if you gave him a whole melon. Yeah. Well, some people are, you know, are, they'll make a, a... Put it in their bowl, and it will be more than one right. slice of melon. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little bit more careful just, just because of the sugar. Mm-hmm. And um, more is not necessarily better. I mean, yeah. dogs are really happy if they get something, like, special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know. Now, I know you have chickens. Do you have? Do you do anything particular for the chickens in the summer months? Oh, my God. Well, no, they get something special every day, thanks Uh-oh. to Peter. Uh-oh. Who, you know, cooks them a meal every day on no. top of them. Yes. He cooks for the chickens. Yes. Tell me. Yes. Well, it's either pasta or rice or sometimes he'll just, you know, we'll buy some, you know, old stale bread from the grocery store that's on sale. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he'll add a um, some of the remnants from our refrigerator, like tomato soup I haven't finished. Or, oh, I mean, it, it could be sometimes it's tuna fish. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, they'll eat anything. Yeah, they're being omnivores, yeah. And then he mixes it up and makes sure it's all well mixed. And <laughs> oh, it's a big production. Let me tell you. Oh my gosh! Oh, it's unbelievable. Oh, that's funny. Oh my gosh! And I. Oh there's, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing. There's and when nothing. We, you know, we make we slow cook for the for some of the dogs in right. a in a uh, crock pot, and mm-hmm. he'll take some of the juice and add it to the chicky food. I'm oh, like yeah. those chickies. Most special chickens they, on earth, right there. Unbelievable, and they get regular lane mash that's mm-hmm. organic mm-hmm. i mean it's not like this is their only meal but 
Yeah. Do they make all those happy chicken noises when he takes it out there? Oh, they'll they'll attack you. <laughs> and if you're not on time, oh yeah, they'll come right up to the back door. <gasps> wow. Oh yeah, they're unbelievable. Wow. So fortunately, we now have one of the Aussies trained on the chickens. Mm-hmm. And all we have to do is open the door and the chicken sees this particular dog, Wookie, and the chicken just h- hightails it out of there. Wookie is the wrangler. Ah, chicken wrangler. Yeah, and she yeah. rounds them up and gets them into the house at night. Yeah, so they an important job. Oh, it's a huge job. Yeah. So when they see her, they, you know, they leave town. So quality of life for the chickens as well. So in the summertime, you're in Virginia. Yes. Do, and this was the experience we had when we had chickens. Do your chickens spend a lot of time digging holes into this, in the dirt under bushes? That's what ours did in the summer when the They're got dirt hot. baths. Yeah, they did a lot yep. of dirt baths. Yep. So if and you they ha- also go into the garden when we've just planted some baby plants and yeah, they tear them up. Scrap, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's our favorite. So if you have coop kept chickens, be aware that chickens genuinely appreciate having the ability to oh, take they a nice, need nice dust bath. I think it helps with lice and things. It does. It does help keep their their skin and feathers. I yep. wanted to say coat, but they don't have one. Keep them healthy mentally and physically. So you want to, just like with horses, if if you have a horse that spends most of his time in a stall, having the ability to go outdoors and stretch his and legs roll. and roll where he wants to in a place that's got an appropriate texture is healthy yep. for them mentally and physically. Well, chickens benefit from that too. So Absolutely. coming up with ways for the chickens to do that is an, is a wonderful thing. And it, yeah, and I, I always thought that was interesting because they would always go under a bush to do it. Yep. And then uh, you'd be going along, you you would be mowing or trimming bushes or something, and you'd go, oh, excuse me, ma'am, because <laughs> there'd be four hens ensconced underneath your bushes. They are so funny. <laughs> I mean, you just have to have a sense of humor to have chickens. You do. You absolutely do. So there you go. Some ideas for giving your dog, horse, or chicken a little special TLC over the summer months to keep them happy and healthy mentally and physically. And that, I think, um, about wraps it up for today. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. 